this is God's house. Are all nations there? This is God's house. Are all ethnicities there? These words are extremely important. We often remember that Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He actually said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And he assumed that the Jews who had heard him were people who knew the Old Testament very well and would know the context of the passage he was quoting. It is clear that Jesus was not only upset about the dishonest business being conducted around the temple, he was also upset about the racism of the merchants who came the foreigners they so despised from approaching the courts of the Lord. I'm going to mess you up right now. So if your music offends rather than appeals to people of different ethnicities, so if your preaching offends rather than appeals to people of different ethnicities, So if your outreach programs offend rather than appeal to people of different ethnicities, wouldn't it be true that you are setting up, as those money changers were, some kind of provisional basis whereby people of different ethnicities were kept from the altar of God? Well, they just don't like the way we worship. Perhaps you should alter the way you worship. Perhaps they don't like the way I preach. Perhaps you should look at altering the way you preach. It's awfully quiet here in this racially integrated church. I'm trying to help you today. Trying to help you know who you are because God is about to use you and this place to cause a verifiable explosion of what church ought to be all across this nation. Can you handle some more? The angriest moment in Jesus' life was when he railed against racism. How come nobody preaching it? Just suppose that the 82% of the American population who say they believe in God and half that number who claim that they are evangelicals began to seriously live out the anger of God toward racial hatred. It would transform our nation and its society and thereby the rest of the world. This is why I have taken the time to look at just a few of the scriptures that reveal God's heart about race. A perversion of scripture has justified most of the racism and slavery that has marred our nation. My hope is that a true sense of the Bible on race might help drive such heresy from the national and public square. Now, the reason I'm so desperately concerned about race in America is because I'm convinced that America will not fulfill her destiny, nor will the church, until the healing of the racial breach begins and we become the light to the nations we were meant to be, the example to the world we were meant to be. 
This means not only removing race hatred from our hearts, but also refusing to be satisfied until there is no one race in this nation that is without equality of opportunity and equality of support from a caring society. Now, some are going to hear me say something entirely different than what I intend to say. Some will hear me saying that everyone ought to be equal in every way, and there ought to be no social or economic difference differences among us. This, of course, is socialism. Be very careful. This is socialism, and I'm the furthest thing from a socialist that is possible. I am, however, a Christian. A Christian who believes that our society will be great to the extent that we embrace the ethics of Christ and care for its members as a holy obligation. When any race is left lagging behind their more prosperous brothers and sisters and no one turns to reach a hand to help them, then our society is guilty of callous disregard for the best it is called to be. Let me take... As an example, the condition of a people who are still without the good that other races enjoy. Let me talk just a moment about African Americans. Despite the fact that slavery was ended a century and a half ago and that the battle for civil rights was won, waged and won 50 years ago, there is still a horrible disparity between blacks and whites in America. The statistics are staggering. Now, I know many whites would say, don't confuse me with the facts. Let me give you the facts. An African-American baby born in 2005 is twice as likely in America to die at birth than a white baby. The African-American mother is four times more likely to die giving birth to that child than an Anglo mother. If that baby does survive, he or she is four times more likely to live below the poverty line. If that African-American is male, he is six times more likely to be murdered and many times more likely to die of a heart attack or be imprisoned or be unemployed or be a victim of violence and be falsely accused of a crime than a white male. Even successful blacks do not fare as well as their white counterparts. The median income of a white college graduate in America today is $60,000. The median income of a black college graduate in America is $45,000. Now everybody look at me. Somebody ought to get some righteous indignation. Somebody, black, white, brown, orange, ought to stomp their foot. And announce... We ain't going to the back of the bus no more. No, let me fix it. We ought to be standing up and saying, they ain't going to the back of the bus anymore. There's something wrong in America when a black male college graduate with exactly the same credentials 
makes $45,000 a year and his white counterpart makes $60,000 a year. That ought to make you mad. I don't care what color you are. We ought to go to turning over some money changers tables. I'm also concerned about a kind of religious racism that's allowing cults to carry away our African-American brothers at an astonishing rate. Let me take just a moment to explain what I mean. The fast... I'm about to preach up in here. Somebody grab a person's hand that's a different color than yours and say, I refuse to let you go. Until all God's children, black men and white men, The fastest growing religion in the world is Islam. In America, the fastest growing religion is Mormonism. Both of these religions are perversions of the truth. I got to preach now, and let me tell you, I'm going to lay some stuff out here, and I need some help. I need some help out here right now, because we're about to change a nation right here. Here we go. Here we go. I, I don't care what time it is. I want you to shout like it's 10.05. I want you to help me. I want you to stir yourself up because we're going to pull down some principalities and powers. All right, here we go. Sit down. That both of these religions are finding tremendous inroads into the black community in America is staggering. That Mormonism is growing rapidly among blacks is surely one of the greatest evidences of spiritual deception and desperation in modern history. I'm not going to go into the background of Mormonism and the perversions of it, but suffice it to say that if there are any people who ought not to convert to Mormonism, it should be African Americans. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Here's why. According to this religion founded by Joseph Smith in the early 1800s, Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. That doctrine's strange enough. But what's even stranger is Joseph Smith's belief that Lucifer is the father of the entire black race. Just, I'm just letting that sink in a minute. So when the Mormon missionaries come walking through your neighborhood, you can be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove and say, get off my porch, you racist. Second fastest growing religion among African Americans in America is Mormonism. And Joseph Smith declared that you are the children of Satan, the founder of the religion. Would somebody just help me and say, that ain't right. Here it is. is. Here. And Mormonism did did not disavow that belief 
until 1974. Still, Mormonism is growing among blacks in America faster than among any other race. What a cruel irony that blacks are now embracing a religion that once viewed them literally as children of the devil. And then there's Islam. Not only is traditional Islam growing among blacks, and largely because blacks are being told that Islam was their original African religion, they were told that Islam was their original African religion. But an African offshoot of traditional Islam is having an even larger impact on African Americans in this country. It is called the Nation of Islam. I'm going to help you now. Boy, it's quiet in here. Maybe you, maybe you recognize its leader's name, Louis Farrakhan. Make sure that gets on the tape and on the air. The Nation of Islam was founded by Elijah Muhammad in the 1930s. This religion is a strange combination of superstition and borrowings from traditional Islam. It teaches that blacks were the original people on earth and that the first white man was created in a failed science experiment. The world will return to black rule, but only if blacks get out from under white domination, separate themselves from the white race, and reclaim their control of the earth. You can get a sense of this movement from Spike Lee's movie, Malcolm X, which skillfully portrays the doctrines of the nation of Islam and how they appeal to a troubled black youth. The film also portrays Malcolm X's disillusionment. His hero, you see, Elijah Muhammad, proved to be a hypocrite who fathered children by women other than his wife and who approved of outright violence. In fact, it was because Malcolm X separated himself from the nation of Islam and began to move toward traditional Islam that Elijah Muhammad had him killed. Are you glad you came today? When I told you we're going to shake a nation, I mean we're going to shake a nation. We're not playing. In the same way, many blacks today are becoming disillusioned with the movement and its leader, Louis Farrakhan. Though a powerful and eloquent speaker, Farrakhan shows signs of imbalance at the least. I don't know how many of you would follow me if I brought to you a sermon that announced I had been carried away in a spaceship and mentored by aliens. What appeals to so many blacks about the nation of Islam, boy, you better get this down. You better get this tape. You better listen to it over and over again. And when the book comes out April 16th, you better get a copy. And you better get one in the hands of every person you know because there is way too much deception being taught in the name of light. There are good things. The reason... African-Americans are swayed that way is because there are some good things that are taught by the nation of Islam. They are taught that there is nothing to be ashamed of in being black, that blacks are a good and noble race, that the path to power is moral purity. You see, in any cult, there is the thread of truth. Those things are all true. 
Black is beautiful. If it wasn't, white folks wouldn't be spending their money on tanning beds. Listen to me. Let me say something. White is just as beautiful. And Hispanic is off the chart. Asian is a wonder. Because we're all God's children and we all reflect his image. God, will anybody help me preach? I don't care. I'm going to finish this. Shop, we need it. Be seated. Here's our problem. God, I want to talk to preachers. Give me a camera. The reason African Americans are swayed by the nation of Islam is because they teach those tenets. These are the truths the Christian church ought to be teaching. And when it doesn't, the nation of Islam fills the vacuum. The problem is that this cult draws on well-meaning blacks and draws them into layers of deceptions that lurk just beneath the veneer of the truth. What grieves me so deeply about blacks flocking into any version of Islam is that they are embracing. I'm going to freak you out right now. They are embracing the very religion that enslaved their forefathers. Uh I know it's often due to the failure of the Christian church to teach blacks the truth about themselves. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute. The failure of the church, though, does not excuse the fact that serious deception has fallen upon many blacks, a deception that I think makes a mockery of the suffering of their ancestors. Let me come back to the statement I just made. Islam, let me, let me say it very clearly, Islam was the original slave religion. There's no question that Europeans extended that trade. The truth is that Muslim slave traders were the first to introduce slavery into Africa. Of course, there had always been a kind of tribal slavery in Africa whereby defeated tribe would enslave its be enslaved by its captors. This was normal at the time in almost every culture in the entire world. I'm referring to the development of a non-military slave trade. This was unquestionably historically proven, introduced into Africa by Muslim Arab slave traders who would hire kidnappers and pay tribal chiefs to yield up members of their tribe into bondage. Race-based chattel slavery was invented by Islam and continues today on the African nation of Sudan. Now you understand why I grieve when a fine young black man is told that his native religion is Islam. When he takes on an Arab sounding name in an attempt to reclaim what he thinks is his heritage. For example, Luau Cinder becoming Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You parents, African-American parents ought to be careful. Cassius Clay taking on the name Muhammad 
Ali. He's actually taking on the trappings of the very religion that first enslaved your people. I can certainly understand what this black man seeks to do, and I applaud what he's trying to do. He's trying to make a genuine connection with his African heritage, rather than the history of abuse and hate his people have known here in America. He's reaching for nobility and authenticity, and we can all understand why. Yet because the Christian church has not told the whole story, that young man is left believing that Islam is his heritage and thus his destiny. Karl Marx said it, A people without a heritage are easily persuaded. And that's why you should embrace your heritage. You should celebrate your heritage. Racial reconciliation and harmony in the races does not mean that we all blend into an amalgamation of the same thing. I am an Eastern Kentucky hillbilly. I called my mother on yesterday. I said, make me some soup beans and some cornbread and put in there a ham hock. I love you, but I ain't eating chitlins. You eat chitlins and I'll celebrate, but I ain't eating them. I don't have to be like you to be in harmony with you. We should celebrate our distinctiveness because we all have a color to add to God's rainbow. Here's what I want to tell this young man. Here's what I want to tell this young man. I want to acknowledge the history of slavery and racism in this country. I also want to tell him that the hardships his people have suffered can serve to make him greater. This is, after all, what the famed black leader Booker T. Washington taught his people and what God teaches his people. He said that slavery was horrible, but it may have been used as a tool in the hand of God to position black people to change the world through forgiveness, through righteousness, through industry and hard work. I want my young black friend to know the lessons Booker T. Washington had to teach because I want him to know that the hardship he and his people have suffered can now make them mighty on the earth. I also want my young black friend to know that it is a lie that Islam is his historic faith but that I understand why he leans toward it. Because the church has not given him any sense of heritage in the way it teaches the Bible or relates the history of Christianity. Okay, now get ready. Because I didn't stutter when I wrote this. Any young black man who seeks to understand why God made him black so he can live out his calling will be sadly disappointed when he walks into the average Christian church because he's going to be told about a white Jesus who's often blonde-haired, flaxen-haired, and blue-eyed, who led a group of disciples who looked like they were born in London, England, rather than in Jerusalem, Israel. He's also going to be told that Christianity quickly moved out of the Middle East and into Europe where the real Christian civilization took root. Nothing could be further from the truth, and I want my fictional young black friend, and indeed all blacks everywhere in America to know it. The truth is that Jesus looked far more black than he did white. The truth is he was born in the Middle East for heaven's sake. He wasn't born in Sweden. 
his skin was probably darker than many African Americans living in America today. And his disciples would have looked the same. Yet skin color isn't the issue. Wouldn't have matter if Jesus had been purple. It wouldn't have changed the fact that Christianity has belonged as much to Africa as it has to any other continent. Think about it. The Bible tells us it was a black man who carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha. Then there was a black man among the pastors at the church at Antioch. The first great missionary church in Christian history, the Ethiopian eunuch, took the gospel to his country and sparked a movement that changed that nation forever. Again... In Africa, many of the early church fathers were African. The brilliant theologian Origen was an African. Anthony, the earliest of the desert fathers who did signs and wonders across Egypt, was an African. Athanasius, who practically stood alone against the entire world to preserve the doctrine of the Trinity, was not only an African, but he was also nicknamed the Black Dwarf. And the father of Western civilization, Augustine, was an African born into the home of a Nubian mother and a Carthaginian father. In fact, many of the great movements of Christianity originated on what later became insultingly known as the Dark Continent. Many today do not know the greatest library in the history of the Christian faith was at Alexandria before it was destroyed in a fire which incidentally was slit by Muslim slave traders. The bottom line is while the ancestors of many whites were still wearing bear skins in the British Isles there was a sophisticated Christian civilization throughout much of Africa that thrived until it was largely destroyed under the sword of Islam in the 7th and 8th centuries. What I want the black youth of America to know is that their native religion, the faith that made their continent great until a false religion prevailed, was Christianity. The religion of Jesus Christ isn't a white man's religion. In fact, it belongs more to people of color than it does to whites if we're simply talking about the skin color and nationality of those who first launched it. You see then why it grieves me deeply when young black uh, Americans find no sense of a connection to a white gospel and turn to Islam. He's being denied his true heritage, denied the path to liberation, and deceived into believing that he should take the true religion of slavery as his own. This is the worst kind of religious racism, and the time has come for the truth to set a generation and a race free from the shackles that have enslaved it physically, mentally, and spiritually to see those chains broken once and for all. Okay, I'm, I'm closing now. How many of you learned something today? I've been talking about black America. Now let me talk a moment about black Americans. 
and for that matter to all non-whites in this country. I think what I'm about to say may well keep us from destructive divisions and from the loss of our heritage as Americans. There is a view of the founding of America that leaves a bitter taste in the mouths of non-whites and indeed in the mouths of many in our present society. It goes something like this. The founding fathers of America were rich white races who compromised the soul of America. This is what's being taught in high schools across our country. They fought a revolution not to launch a righteous nation, but to preserve their social class. And they traded on the souls of Africans to do it. The good things about America arose despite them much later in America's history. And we owe them little by way of respect. The problem with this view is that, of course, it is not only uninformed, but it also creates a class of people who despise their national fathers and thus distance themselves from the founding faith. By hating what gave them birth, they become a people without a heritage. And to quote Marx again, people without a heritage are easily persuaded. Such thinking has made many in America immune to the wisdom of the founding fathers and susceptible to the manipulation and racism. It has also made them bitter. Before I go any further, let me admit what should be admitted. Let me stand right here. Let me admit what should be admitted. Our founding fathers did not apply to people of color the same belief in the equality of all men that they applied to whites. They did compromise on race. They did not apply the lofty promises of the Declaration of Independence to blacks. And they left our nation exposed to the threat of civil war. Some of them owned slaves. Some were outright racists. And some died never dreaming that America would be anything but a slave-holding nation. These things are true, and they cannot be denied. Yet they are not the whole truth. And those who think they are risk misaligning themselves with the great destiny of this nation. What we must also know about the founding generation is how ahead of their time they were and how they formed the foundation for the freedoms that we all enjoy today, blacks, whites, Asian, Hispanics, and Arabs. Remember that when our Declaration of Independence was penned, most of the world practiced slavery in some forms. Blacks enslaved blacks in Africa. Arabs enslaved Africans and took them to the far reaches of the earth. Asian monarchs routinely enslaved their people. And all of Europe dirtied their hands in the vile trade. America was certainly no exception. Still, many of our founding fathers realized that slavery could not last, that a great nation could not embrace such a practice forever. This is why many of the framers of our Constitution freed their slaves either during their lifetime or upon their deaths. The truth is that the founding generation of America was a transitional generation. They understood that the old ways of nations could not create a free society, but they did not step as as fully as we might have liked and wanted into the values of a modern free republic. They dreamed of a society of free people. They dreamed of a righteous republic modeling liberty for the world. They dreamed up a federal system that has survived for centuries, but they were not as progressive on social issues as you and I would have liked. We should be careful not to blame them. They were far ahead of their time and and we are wrong to charge them with wrongdoing. 
simply because they did not have a 21st century mindset. Thank God they didn't, or they would never created the wise, largely fair, strong governmental system that they did. What's more, those who have benefited from the battle for civil rights in the last decades should not reject the heritage they have from the founding generation. Rather, they should celebrate it, celebrate its legacy of everything that generation gave that provided the basis for all the freedoms we now know. Think about it. Rights the founding fathers could barely envision. Voting rights for women, citizenship for blacks, voting rights for African Americans, property rights for everybody were based on the dream of principled freedom our founding fathers first handed to us. I believe that our generation has an opportunity to fulfill the glorious dream of its founding, but it will never happen in a huge proportion until our society, the descendants of slaves, people of color, women, views that founding dream as an opportunity rather than as an enemy. As a bondage to be escaped rather than a legacy to extend to my black and Asian and Arab and Hispanic friends, I say, please, please have done with bitterness. You live in a great land founded by flawed people who nevertheless frame the liberties you now enjoy. Don't hate them. Don't discard their and your legacy. Embrace them and build a nation even better than the one they envisioned. And that's what they would have wished for us. We need you. We need you rooted in the rich soil from which our republic sprang. Remember what Winston Churchill said. We, if we open a conflict between the present and the past, we will certainly lose the future. Now is the time for you to stand tall on the beauty of who God created you. Hold tightly to the wisdom of our fathers. Dream big dreams of a righteous America and make yourself and your generation a solemn promise. You will be silent no more. Give God glory. Come on, give him glory. Give him glory. You've heard a word today. I said, you've heard a word today. Get across these aisles and join hands with somebody. Get across these aisles and join hands with somebody. <laughs> In every direction, one or two, three, one or two or three people down the line, someone's joined hands with someone of a different race. Isn't it a tremendous thing? Really, isn't it a tremendous thing? We don't lose our identity. We have others to celebrate our identity. If we were all the same, how would anyone celebrate us? What would they have to celebrate? They would be just like you, and you would be just like them. What is there to celebrate in that? There's so much about who we are and where we came from that God wants us to celebrate. And we're doing that here, service after service, week after week, not only in this church, but on the Breakthrough Broadcast, in Harvest Preparatory School, and in World Harvest Bible College, and everything we set our hand to. We need to really begin to understand what God has done here. 
because there is less than one half of one percent of the churches in America that are integrated to this degree. It's a wonder. It's a wonder. Now, if I've offended you in any way today, you forgive me. I've done my best to tell you the truth, to mold you into the noble people that God intended you to be, to teach you to celebrate and embrace your own ethnicity, and to celebrate and embrace the ethnicity of others, to realize that we all add to the fabric of the collage and the tapestry of the body of Christ. If it's just a black church or just a white church or just a Hispanic church or just a Jewish church, we only have one facet of what God made us to be. So I encourage you to teach your children the truth. I encourage you to find out the truth. Don't just be that kind of person that just lets life happen to you and, well, I just believe this because somebody somewhere said something. Amen. And let's begin to believe God for the greatest movement of evangelism this church has ever known. Into every ethnicity, into every race, into every socioeconomic group, from the uttermost to the guttermost and everything in between. Let's believe God to be those people. In Jesus' name. Now squeeze that hand and shout, I need you. Hallelujah. And let's give God glory right now. Let's just give him glory. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.